0: is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen
1: and Dr. Harry Quigley.
0: Well, now that you've listened to our discussion about cataract surgery, we're going to change gears over to glaucoma surgery. When it comes to glaucoma surgery, there are many different kinds. There are the traditional surgeries that are done in the part of the eye called the subconjunctival space. We also have some newer ones called minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries. Some of them are also in the subconjunctival space and some of them are in the angle of the eye. There are also laser procedures done through incisions in the eye as well. We touched a little bit about that earlier and we're gonna go into more details. This is a bigger topic, so the discussion about glaucoma surgery will be extended over a few episodes.
1: You guys may remember that if you were in one of the early podcasts, that we said to lower the pressure for the average glaucoma patient, there's three choices drops, laser treatments in the outpatient area, or a surgical procedure, an operation in the operating room. And clinical trials have been carried out with initial glaucoma patients who are starting their first treatment. And in each case, these trials did one versus the other drops versus laser laser versus surgery, drops versus surgery. And the interesting thing is that each of those three general approaches came out pretty well in both groups. So the treatment works, and the treatment can be, even if you're choosing this as your first treatment, eye drop every day, or laser treatment to see if you can get away with that alone, or surgical surgery. Now, we've already talked about the other one, so today we're going to be talking about surgery.
0: Well, how do we decide which surgery to do for you? It depends on what your current eye pressure is and what we think it should be, so the target eye pressure, how many eye drops you're currently taking and how many you tell us that you want to get down to if you want to try to reduce your use of topical medications. Also the recovery time, if it's a shorter recovery time versus a longer recovery time, the type of glaucoma that you have, how the structures look in your eyes, and also what the short versus the long-term outcomes are. There's been a lot of research in all of the various glaucoma procedures that tell us about those outcomes.
1: The operation then that we now still use as, according to Medicare data, still the most commonly performed glaucoma operation is trabeculectomy. You'll remember that trabecular meshwork is that part of the angle on the interior of the eye where the fluid gets out. An ectomy means to make a hole in or to remove something. So a trabeculectomy, and I tell patients that if they remember Alex Trebek, the guy from Jeopardy!, then they'll know how to pronounce trabeculectomy. We're all wishing him very well. I know he's not well at the moment. And trabeculectomy then was a procedure that was uh, invented by John Cairns and Peter Watson from England, in the mid-1960s, and it was first performed here at the Wilmer Institute in 1973 and 4. And after that, it was rapidly recognized that it was better than the preceding glaucoma operations that had been done, largely because while its success rate wasn't dramatically better than the other older operations, the complications of developing severe problems of very low eye pressure or immediate development of cataract were eliminated by doing trabeculectomy. So this is one of those times where there were only two or three randomized trials of trabeculectomy against the preceding procedures. But when that was done, it became immediately obvious that this was a huge improvement, and everybody began doing trabeculectomy in the 1970s. So it's been around for 40 years. It's done several hundred thousand times a year in the United States. So this is a procedure where if you say, do you guys really know what's going to happen with this? The answer is we absolutely have a pretty good idea what your potential success rate and the low level of complications are.
0: So Harry, since you've done many of these procedures and you trained here at the Wilmer Eye Institute, can you tell us a little bit about the trabeculectomy and how it's evolved over time?
1: Well, the original procedure is essentially in principle the same. There are three layers in the eye wall. And the first layer, which is like a piece of saran wrap with a few blood vessels in it, is called the conjunctiva. So to do the procedure, we're going to take the conjunctiva, lift it off the eye, make an incision in it, and get it out of the way temporarily. Then later, we're going to put it back. The second is we make an incision in the white part of the eye called the sclera. And that looks like an apron or a flap. And it has three sides on it, but the third side is hinged up near the cornea, the front of the eye. And under that flap, we make a hole into the fluid chamber of the front of the eye, into the anterior chamber, so that aqueous humor is going to leak out. So that the iris of the eye won't block the internal hole that we've made, we make a little opening in the iris called an right there. Then that flap is put back down, and it's sutured with typically two or three very, very tiny sutures that remain under the surface, and the tension of those sutures determines how fast the water is going to run out. So in essence, we're making an adjustable valve. And finally, the conjunctiva is put back over it and sewn down in place with absorbable sutures. And the fluid comes out through the hole under this white scleral flap and then under the area of the conjunctiva. And ultimately, that fluid very slowly leaches its way through the conjunctiva and into your tears. But if your eye's is tearing after you've had the surgery, That's not the aqueous humor coming out. That's the eye responding, trying to get itself to heal properly. So there's tears on the outside of the eye and aqueous on the inside of the
0: eye. There's also something that's used during the surgery, an antifibrotic agent that helps to reduce the formation of scar tissue in the area of the surgery, because one of the things that can happen down the road is that scar tissue can form at the surgical site and then cause failure of the procedure. So we use antifibrotic fibrotic agents. So there's something called mitomycin C and something else called 5-FU that we use at the time of the procedure. And some doctors will also do a procedure down the line, either in the operating room or somewhere in the clinic or procedures room where they augment the antifibrotic agent that they've already given you at the time of surgery. They'll do a few more of those down the line That procedure is referred to as an injection or a needling of the bleb. And the bleb is the area where the fluid that Harry just discussed, it's now under that apron or that flap, is flowing to, but kept within the subconjunctival space.
1: All of this is down up under your eyelid. So if you have the surgery, it's pretty uncommon for somebody looking at you normally to be able to see that something was done so we like to say this is going to be kind of a little hidden thing if you raise up your eyelid then it's quite feasible that you'll see this little area because the blood vessels don't reform quite so much over it so it looks a little whiter than the rest of the sclera or the upper part of the eye outside the cornea and so somebody will notice it in fact we will get a phone call on a saturday morning for somebody a year after their surgery my wife calls it the I just noticed my bleb call. And it's someone who unfortunately didn't remember that we told them that there might be this area on the upper part of their eye. And they were looking in the mirror some morning and their wife says, my goodness, your eye has exploded or there's something wrong with your eye. And we're happy to reassure them that no, that's a good sign. That's your glaucoma operation working well. And you don't have to worry that that's something terrible. Before the mitomycin, we had more trouble getting trabeculectomy to be as successful as it is now. Because the younger you are, the healthier you are, the more you'd heal. And perfect healing is the enemy of a good trabeculectomy. So this is one of the really nice things about being older. People say, oh, well, I bet if I'm older, you'll have much more trouble with my surgery. And I go, no, I love 85-year-old people having trabeculectomy because they're much less likely to scar The valving mechanism shut, and they're more likely to have a successful procedure. So, we use more of the antifibrosis, more of the mitomycin in a 40 year old person than we would in an 80 year old person. We use more anti inflammatory corticosteroid medicines, both as eye drops and sometimes as injections under the surface of the eye, or even systemically as pills or intravenous medicine, in order to suppress healing to get the operation to work. Now, it has to heal. Ultimately, so the surface of the eye goes back to being closed, but we're really talking about healing under the surface.
0: So the bleb is a good thing, and bleb, in case you want to look this up online or talk to your doctor about it, it's spelled B-like-boy, L-E, B-like-boy, bleb. So glaucoma doctors, we talk a lot about the bleb. This is kind of like our fascination. A bleb is a good thing. You don't want it to be flat. You don't want to have no bleb. You want to have a nice, low-lying bleb after your surgery.
1: So much like cataract surgery, this is done totally under local anesthesia with a little sedation if you're anxious. If you're healthy and you absolutely need general anesthesia, it still can be done, but it isn't necessary. All we need to do is literally to numb about a quarter of the top part of the eye, and you wouldn't feel any of the rest of what's going on. Your eyes held open by a little instrument during the surgery, so you don't have to worry about blinking. You do see a bright light during the surgery, but other than that, the procedure itself is a half an hour and a patch overnight. The patch comes off the next day and usually doesn't need to be put back on. We do perhaps have you wear a little shield over the eye during sleep for a week or two, but other than that, it's a one all kind of an operation. It's a lot easier than going to the dentist is what we like to tell people.
0: The postoperative course for having a trabeculectomy is going to be longer than a cataract surgery because there's more incisions in the eye. So you will be able to see the day after your procedure when we take that patch and shield off, but your vision might be a little bit down the first day. It's going to get better each day as we have you use the anti-inflammatory eye drops. Other things are that you might feel a little bit of a foreign body sensation. That's from a stitch in the eye that we use for the procedure. Other things you might notice after the procedure are that your eye is a little bit more teary.
1: That's your eye trying to help itself heal. And there's no question that people are sometimes a bit blurred because we change the eye pressure. And when you change the eye pressure, let's say you take it from 25 to 10, the eye gets smaller. And if the eye is smaller, then the eyeglass need is different, and so you're blurry. That very often resolves itself, and you go back to your original glasses, but sometimes you'll need new eyeglass prescription after trabeculectomy. There are also some considerations that we think of before we do the trabeculectomy. Among them are whether you're on some blood thinner that might actually lead to increased bleeding during the surgery. The Things we're thinking about are medicines like coumadin and warfarin, the pill, or new pills that have been out, and there's about eight or nine kinds of them that people are taking as treatments that relate to having a heart valve past, blood clots in their legs or a stroke, and even garden variety aspirin. In fact, aspirin is my worst enemy with regard to doing eye surgery. I try to get people, if it's at all safe, to stop their anticoagulant medicines before surgery. Finally, if you use contact lenses, let's say you're very nearsighted and you only see best with a contact lens, trabeculectomy is not for you because this bleb that we talked about would bang into your contact lens. The contact lens may make little openings in the bleb and lead to a direct leak of aqueous humor out of the eye. So if you are a contact lens wearer, then listen to the podcast on tube shunt surgery because that's what we're going to do for you if you are.
0: Speaking of blebs and the possibility of an infection, if a bleb is leaking, there is a potential for an infection. We can treat this in a couple of different ways. There is some difference in opinions on this depending on your doctor. Some people will treat a leak with a bandage contact lens over the eye. Some people will ask you to use an aqueous suppressant eye drop which is a drop that reduces the production of the fluid inside the eye. And some people will ask you to use an antibiotic eye drop to try to prevent an infection. Having a leak does not mean that you have an infection, but it is a risk for getting an infection.
1: You may be a little confused at first because I told you that we have to let the water leak out of the eye through the new adjustable flap valve. And the leak that we're talking about is actually that there's an overt hole in that final covering layer, the conjunctiva. So there's a hole in the bleb. And when there's a real true bleb leak, then aqueous humor is streaming through this little hole. And while it's not a you know, a torrent of fluid, people do tend to notice that there's extra fluid on their eye. They'll say, my eye's tearing. The other thing that happens is with a bleb leak, the eye pressure often goes low and the vision gets blurry. And if it doesn't resolve itself very quickly with either quiet waiting and watching or the things that Mona just mentioned, then we repair it, the bleb leak. So this is one of about four or five things that are the uncommon but definite complications that require later treatment from a trabeculectomy. But I think we skipped over the good stuff. We skipped over the success rate. And we did a big review about three or four years ago of the success of trabeculectomy lowering the eye pressure. And in the average person, 80% of them will achieve the target pressure we want for a period of four to five years or more, beyond that even, with trabeculectomy. So as a procedure, it's about as successful as many, many operations for various different things.
0: I agree. Trabeculectomy is what I consider to be the gold standard glaucoma surgery. And in my opinion, it works the best to lower the eye pressure for the most long-term period of time.
1: The other thing is that if you are someone whose glaucoma started in the normal range and you need a low normal pressure, a recent study suggested that it is the single best procedure for people who need to get to a number like 10 or 11 or 12. And so that's another of the reasons why trabeculectomy is going to continue to be used, even though, as you'll hear, we're doing further things to it all the time. Now, Mona asked me about modifications over time. It used to be we had to set this adjustable valve in the operating room, and then we couldn't do anything about it afterwards. But right now, we have the great advantage that we can adjust the flow through the trabeculectomy at each visit for the first three or four visits when you come to see us by shining a little laser light at the area of surgery or by removing one of the little sutures that's been put in. And those two methods, suture lysis or releasable suture removal, have dramatically improved the success rate and our ability to start with the eye pressure at a reasonable range and then lower it down to the target pressure on some of the post-operative visits. So being adjustable is a unique feature of trabeculectomy that doesn't pertain to any of the other glaucoma surgeries at all.
0: Oh, and nothing gets left in your eye also.
1: Yeah, people say, are you going to put some hardware in there or, you know, Everything we leave behind, with the exception of some little micro sutures, is you.
0: I generally tell people that the healing time for trabeculectomy is around six weeks to three months. So although I do think that it works the best to lower your eye pressure and to get you off of glaucoma medications in the long term, someone who's going to have a trabeculectomy has to be willing to accept that they're going to have a post-op period around that time. And they have to be very careful with the bleb. So you can't be someone who's rubbing your eyes. That can cause a leak and an infection. You won't be able to see the bleb. As Harry said, it's covered by your eyelid. So cosmesis should not be a factor unless you're someone who's lifting your eyelids all the time.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, though, I, having done this for a long time, I can tell you that about 1% of people, for whatever reason, their conjunctiva, the area where the bleb is, tends to extend down to where it is visible or where it is even their eyelid going up and down over it, they feel it. We call this dysesthesia, meaning it feels bad, or cosmetic problem. They just don't like having that look. And so we've invented ways to revise it, to make that bleb smaller so it's not in the way so the person doesn't feel it. And those revision surgeries for those two problems are 95% effective at fixing it with one try without ruining the trabeculectomy. So the pressure's still good, but they no longer have the cosmetic or the discomfortable problem.
0: Harry, you just mentioned the part where we're adjusting that bleb and the trabeculectomy site over the course of a few visits. So I heard you mention putting the lens on the eye and using laser. So that's when we're trying to open stitches and reduce the pressure. But what happens when the pressure is too low
1: I would say if there is a single problem that we still haven't solved that we'd like to solve best, it's trying to make the pressure go down to the target, we can overshoot. And the number of persons who overshoot badly enough that they can't get out of that low pressure and have blurred vision from it is about three in 100 persons with trabeculectomy. Going back to the operating room to fix the fact that the pressure has gotten too low. And we can fix it. We just looked at the rate at which successful revisions for hypotony, when that happens, revisions for low pressure, are successful with one try more than 70% of the time, and 90-plus percent of the time it can be fixed if there is a need for a second revision operation. So when you think about how small a number of persons that is who get into trouble that we can't get out of, it's really in the one per two or 3,000
0: range. Let's also talk about risk factors for failure of the surgery and people who we would not recommend have it. So you had mentioned earlier that people who are older actually fare better. If you're in a younger age group, you are at a greater risk of the trabeculectomy failing. Also individuals who are prone to scarring, those who have darker pigmentation, so individuals who are African-derived, for example, they may have a higher rate of failure of the trabeculectomy. So there are certain things that we have to do intraoperatively and postoperatively to try to prevent the scar tissue and reduce the risk of failure. But if you're in one of those groups that we just mentioned, it doesn't mean you can have a trabeculectomy. Just we have to make certain modifications. And if we think that that procedure is going to fail for you, then we'll recommend something else.
1: Yeah, there are conditions of the eye where we would probably almost never do this procedure as the first try. If you have diabetes or a vascular abnormality, a blood vessel abnormality in the eye that causes new blood vessels to form, and they're still actively forming and closing and forming and closing, that happens in a variety of situations. That's called neovascular glaucoma. We would not necessarily do a trabeculectomy as the first choice, Persons who have uveitis or inflammation in the eye, as Mono mentioned, are more likely to scar shut and more likely to go into low pressure. So once again, we have better operations for them that we'll do in another podcast, the so-called tube shunt operations.
0: Great, and this brings our episode on the trabeculectomy to a conclusion.
1: Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops.